Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Science of Sport podcast with sports editor Mike Finch and sports scientist Professor Ross Tucker. I always love an interview with an elite athlete because it gives you perspective that you can never get from anybody else. And we really wanted to get into the weeds of this particular person's sport to find out how they race, they train, how they think about the racing itself, the different things that have helped them in their ability to train, etc., etc. So our guest today is Marcel Guerini, who is fifth place. He was fifth place in the World Championships in mountain biking last year. He's got. Uh, fact two years ago yeah and then two, I mean, two years ago actually my dates and misses yep. and then uh, last year finished third uh, finished in the top five three times in world cups um, and then with a chance this year hopefully if things go well for him of representing switzerland at the uh, paris olympics along with uh, people like nina Schurter. so marcel is a guy who knows a lot about mountain biking at 29 years of age the questions that he asked, I know Ross of him have been in contact um, uh, for a while talking about the various science. So he's a guy, not only does he want to perform at his best, but he's also a man who embraces a lot of the science, looks mm. at the research himself and tries to find the best way to be the best version of himself in terms of mountain biking. So as you'll hear in this discussion, he really does open up about a lot of the things that he has to deal with as a professional athlete. We ask him some intriguing questions about his uh, his psychology and those sort of things, which he kind of uh, answers in a very uh, particularly Swiss sort of way. <laughs> but uh, the content of this, I found absolutely fascinating. Yeah, he's an interesting. I mean, it's, I'm not exactly inundated with elite athletes on social media, at least, social media following us, but, but he's definitely the most vocal. And mm. every once in a while... Actually, sometimes fairly frequently, he'll send a link to an article that he read. Not just a article on a, a sort of garbagey news site, <laughs> but actually a scientific paper. Mm. And so he's obviously he's obviously put himself in the flow of scientific conversation in order to look for what might then work best. And you'll hear in the conversation, he's got quite good scientific, quite a good grasp of the scientific principles that underpin the training and sitting in now I can't even remember like there was some stuff that we spoke about while we were recording and then as usual some of the stuff after the recording was really good <laughs> and I don't remember whether the he actually told us that he's the kind of guy who needs to know why he's doing stuff mm -hmm. it's part of his makeup he wants to know like if I'm going to go and do a high intensity session or a long ride or whatever it is or if I'm going to change my nutrition I'll do it but I want to understand it before I do it well and so that's kind of drives his interest in the science. And yeah, I wouldn't, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's academic. He's an academic mountain biker, uh, is how I would put it, with like a high level of curiosity and insight as a consequence of that curiosity. So it was really a pleasure to talk to him. And mm. like I say, it's a, said some things afterwards, you know, like that I wish we'd captured. But, but <laughs> Always I, press record. I must remember that. Yeah, but I, but I definitely things we're going to bank because you'll hear from him now. He He's visited South Africa a lot and will continue to visit. And in future, when he's here with other people with the Swiss mountain biking team, we're going to try and get those people on also mm -hmm. and explore some of the little teasers that he, he left us with. So, yeah, yeah wonderful start to 2024. Well, here he is. If you're interested in the world of high-performance mountain bike or any kind of high-performance sport, this is a very interesting interview with one of the best in the world. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mm -hmm. 
So Marcel, welcome to the Science of Sports. Um, it's always a great privilege to have a professional sportsman in our podcast because it, it gives us an insight that we as amateur sportsmen never get. And I'm sure for a lot of our people who listen to this podcast, it's an opportunity for us to ask you questions. That, and, I, and I literally have probably 20 questions that I've always wanted to ask a pro mountain biker. So I'm not sure I'm going to get to all of those because I'm sure Ross has a lot of them himself. But let's give us let's kick it off by... You're here in Cape Town. Why are you here in Cape Town? What are you doing here? What, what's, how long have you been in Cape Town for? What's, what's your Cape Town um, place now? What, you, what do you do here? Yeah, I'm enjoying uh, the nice weather. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm coming to Stellenbosch now for 12, over 12 years. Uh, firstly, f- for sure, for the, for the training. Um, yeah, it's perfect conditions for mountain biking. Always good weather. Um, no jet lag, so it's perfect mm. for me to come down here. So, what 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 time of the season is this for you? In other words, what is most of your training now? Is it long base miles? Is it more peak stuff? What what is what do you do instead of at this time of year? Yeah, I, I mean, I just started with training again. I had off in uh, November, and now slowly, slowly back to training. So more long hours, but I also started with intensity. Um, as well so I do intensity I mean almost a whole year so a mix of both I would say because the interesting thing about being a pro mountain biker and particularly when you're racing world cups you've got world cups you've got a world championship every single year this in, in this year in 2024 you've got a Olympic Games which is happening as well so how do you when you talk about for instance runners who have phases they go through they can run two maybe three marathons a year you're having to peak for six months of the year how do you how do you do that are you always on peak form for those six months no i mean uh, now i'm i'm quite heavy <laughs> i'm not you um, don't look at uh, it <laughs> <laughs> no i'm i'm not in top shape far away um but yeah it's it's a challenge but i think our season now starts a little bit earlier it's it's middle of march till october but this year we also had a nice summer break without like six weeks without races so you can have a quick uh, rest like three four days off and then rebuild again for the second half of the season which is really helpful so it's not like six months straight you need to be in top shape which mm-hmm. uh, helps so when you say you've got six weeks off i mean three or four days doesn't seem like much of a risk because i've had three or four days off the bike this week <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> when you say you, you have a rest and then you build again, it doesn't. what do you mean you build again? In other words, you start with base work and then go into intensity or do you just have three or four days rest and then keep going with the same program as you did a week before? No, I mean, it. it's a bit uh, different from the summer break. I mean, that's the middle of the season. You just have like six weeks, no, no races. So you do maybe three days off and then you start quite fast. Uh, with 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 a normal program but now in november i did two weeks nothing like or even more and then you start slowly progression um yeah some long hours and then some intensity Mm -hmm. so it's it's uh it's like that yeah i think it's fair to say and i don't know whether this is even true in your career because let's and, and i'd like to actually in a moment go back to how you got to where you are now but it's fair to say that in the last 10, 20 years, there's been a small and I think subtle but important shift in how seasons are structured in the mm-hmm. sense that the classic model was, here's a base block. All mm-hmm. I do is low intensity, long distance mileage. And then I have a transition block and then I have an intensity. I don't think it works that way anymore. It's not so neat as like, here's a green, here's an amber, here's a red. You, you know what I'm getting yeah. at? Yeah. Like, and like you alluded to it now, you're, you're pretty much doing some intensity stimulus throughout the year because you're always quite close to your best. Like, not not just mm. to the point where you're a week from being at peak, but you're not, you're not deconditioned or totally differently conditioned for like weeks at a time and then you switch on and then you switch off, then you switch on. You're kind of always simmering mm. and just trying to boil at the right point. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's true in running, I think, in swimming and I suspect in cycling. So I don't know whether... The way you train now, 2023, is different to how you maybe were training in 2017. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's that's totally right what you said. It's, yeah, you start with intensity quite fast, or I do. Like, after one, one week back, I, I start to do 
some intensity, not not as as much or as long as I would do in the middle of the season, but I start mm. quite fast with it, and I think it helps you to get back to yeah to a certain point and yeah i think it's it's a it's a good a good switch uh, mm. switch yeah so it's simmer i mean the, the way you describe it summering is actually quite a good mm. way of doing it yeah, yeah. because yeah, you, you want to be you want to be like yeah. permanently like at almost boiling point mm. enough that then when the main objectives of the season olympics next year world champions in a normal year or that block of four world cups leading into a world champs whatever then you just want to be able to switch it up mm. in two more degrees so that you start the boil you know mm. but you can't do that too early because then you boil dry mm. but you don't want to be so far below that that you can't get there so mm. that's the delicate balance and it's definitely evolved eh? this this classic periodization model where you had these very discrete but separate silos is no longer yeah. really used by many people and, and you think that's just relevant in cycling or is it no it's definitely the case so I remember Alex Popov now I remember this is the swimmer right he was yeah. in 90s yeah. 92 96 Olympics yeah. His coach used to say Popo was always two weeks away from a world record. Mm. He's nowhere close to it. Like he wouldn't do it now, but in two weeks I'll have him there. Mm. Not, not like cyclist in January saying, please, you know, I'm six months away from my best. It's not like that anymore. Mm. I think you pretty much have to be a year-round athlete. But the subtle differences, you just, mm. it's so delicate that ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, you, you overdo it in one month of the year, it's too much. You yeah. underdo it, it's too little. Yeah. And I think it also helps you or it prepares you to train the load. Like if you never do, let's say four time, eight minute interval in winter, and then suddenly you have to do it. It's such a big mm. to uh, task for for the body. And if you go with smaller steps to that four time, eight minutes, it also helps mm. you to prepare it. And uh, mm. I think that's, that's also a reason. Yeah, because mm. otherwise the transition from the low intensity to the medium to the high, the steps are too big, mm. you know? And then you've got to manage an overtraining risk at the very moment you're trying to ramp up, mm -hmm. which you're doing anyway, but it's how much of it are you willing to accept. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. So that's the session then. Is it four times eight? <laughs> is that kind of like your, your staple at the moment intensity session? Not at the moment, but that's like uh, during the season, one of my my intensity sessions, four times eight minutes at uh, VO2 max. It's, uh, VO2 max power. Yeah. That's, which, uh, okay. What, what's the differentiation between VO2 max and VO2 max power? Well, you don't know VO2 on the bike, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you're not measuring it. So I see what your power is on the bike. It would, yeah. be, it would have been tested in the lab and you'd say, right, at VO2 max, this is my power. And then on the bike, I'm going to ride that power. Yeah. But basically, all it means is I'm at a very, very top end of my limit for eight minutes at a time. That's sure. a hard session. And yeah. how do you, I mean, do you do the same? When you do a session like that, are you doing the same climb and then judging your performance on the climb so that it's the same time every time or the same distance over that eight, eight minutes? Yeah, firstly, I look uh, on on power only, yeah. like okay. power, and then sometimes also heart rate yeah, a little bit. You just could also be at your heart rate, but yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. power only, and then you see with with the distance how you go. And it's also, I think, a main difference from now to the peak. It's also like the body weight. Now you have two, three, four kilos more, and then you will see you will drop it down. That's also something that's that that's different mm. during this time now of the year. So mm. you think so? You're heavier now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, at least <laughs> three, four kilos heavier. And another listeners can't see, but you're, you're a very you're, you're a small guy compared. You feel like giants around you, but uh, you must be very thin. Yeah. You. I mean, when you when you do that sort of session, can you give us some numbers? What are, what are your what are you looking at in terms of your watts when you do that four by eight minutes? Like I would say around four hundred watts. So you can hold uh, 400 watts for eight minutes at a time. Like my, yeah, my best, I think it's four times eight minutes with four, 420 watts. And it's like 67 <laughs> kilos around that. That's yeah. like if I, but it's also with experience, you know, when you can do it, then you know you have a good shape. That's yeah. also... Yeah. So Ross worked that out from us quickly. Four hundred and twenty watts. Seventy <laughs> would be four twenty at six. So sixty-seven would be six point two. Six point two. Six point two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Okay. But there is also with that. I, I texted Ross once about it with that whole power stuff. I mean, with the power meter, every power meter is different. Mm. Like, we 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 can measure it how accurate it is 
in our labs, but there it's huge difference from 1% to high to 20% and 3% to low. So wow. if a guy says 400 watts, doesn't mean your power meter is the same. Like mm. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's difficult to compare. So I never compare with other guys. So, so when you when you're doing your sessions, you're basing on the on the on the power meter you're using on that bike, rather yeah. than what your lab test might say. I, I know it might be different. Yeah, I know. I know my power meter. I know how how accurate it is. I tested it, and I use mm. only this one, so I I can compare it to myself mm. only. Yeah. And if mm. a guy says, "Yeah, I'm doing four time eight minutes with five hundred watts," yeah, I don't know if it's five percent too high or mm. something else, but. Mm. What's what's for sure? No power meter is hundred percent accurate. Sure. Mm. No yeah. problem. Yeah. And tell me then, as you get closer to race season, does the interval session change to shorter blocks but more frequent at higher power outputs? No, this year I recent like I only did f- f- that that eight minutes, and then I also did some uh, like criteriums, like it's like uh, race simulation yeah. kind of. With which like the short sprints and stuff. Yeah. So or a, a classic one would be uh, interval session would be thirty fifteen like thirty seconds sprint fifteen seconds uh, break for like ten minutes, mm. three times. That's also I think a common one. Mm. But you do mm. that closer to race season than now in winter because it's it's quite intense. Mm. Mm. Because mountain biking by its nature. And we often talked about this in the podcast. If you look at road cyclists, road cyclists can cruise along for five hours in a bunch and at a heart rate that's super low. But they can accelerate and they can do 800 watts, 1,000 watts, some of the sprinters at short intervals. That's the difference between amateurs and pros. On mountain biking, when you watch it on television, it's a case of like these short, intense sessions of effort and then there's a downhill and then there's another short intense session of of uphill of uphill so you're never there's never consistent power there's this continuous shift in power all the time and it, and is that do you train specifically for that continuous shift of power that you have i think it looks looks like that from the outside but actually in the race it's more like a, if you can ra- race a steady high power you will you will be at the front like i think that's something that everybody thinks from the outside it's mm. like stop and go but it's not it's not really like that i think it's yeah the downhills are so short and then when you try to sprint the next uphill it's not gonna work so i think if you have a steady high power at the end you will you will be at the front mm. So, yeah, that's interesting. So, so in other words, you're you're not you're not accelerating into climbs. You're just keeping that consistent yeah, high power. Not, yeah, not really like just a high power. But maybe that's also my type of of how I race. Mm. I I'm really consistent, like with lap times and everything. So I I can do a really really high um, pace for 90 minutes. Mm. But I'm not the guy that's like sprinting out of corners and like like cyclocross guys that's more like sprinting out of corners mm. going down up mm. so, so give us an sorry so yeah. give us an idea then in a race what would the average power output and the normalized power output be i i really don't know so because on course, I, I never use uh, race oh, power meter because okay. of the of, of weight actually only okay. and <laughs> and okay. i did uh, earlier like two or three years ago but i never could take something out for me that yeah like that helped me in mm. training afterwards because every race is different mm. Mm. so i can't i can't tell you actually interesting yeah mm. so when you take it i mean when i look at mountain biking and i hear what you're saying about this consistent power output but when you see some of those close-ups when you're going up a technical section and there's that real stick with the guys you can see they're really battling to get over roots and that sort of thing it seems like the intensity there is like flat out but even in that situation you're saying it's more about consistent power rather than just trying to accelerate up that climb is that is that a fair assumption yeah it's i mean you have to yeah if it's a last lap last climb you go go you go all in that's yeah. for sure but uh if it's second third lap you sometimes need to be smart and not uh, waste a lot of energy in that in that small section and yeah. see the the whole whole uh, race and mm. What I also 
think it's really important is uh, to be efficient. That's efficiency. It's really important. That's some of the really really top guys uh, like Nino is so efficient on the bike. When you look at him in the technical section, he's not losing any speed or not wasting power. And that's also that small difference at the end. Mm. Describe a race because for us who are watching it, it seems intense for the first half lap. Kind of levels off a little bit. Then there's this lull. And then there's the acceleration towards us. <laughs> it, it feels like a lull. Because when you watch it, it feels like it. Everybody gets into position and it stays like that for a while. And then towards the last third of the race, suddenly there's lots of changes. Is that how it works? I mean, you've got two top, three top fives in 2023, two of them in the top three. How, how do you race it? And what does the race look like? How does the intensity happen? I think it's so different from racing at a really, really uh, top in the front. Or if you're battling between top 10, top 20, there is like a fight from the beginning till the end positioning. It's like you're, you're fighting for every centimeters. And the further you go to the front, there is more... Actually, it's more quiet. It sounds stupid, but it's it's quite more quiet. Like it's maybe also more respect between the guys and some mm. tactics and it's it's easier to race in the front you don't have that fighting uh, maybe in the last one one or two laps but yeah if you start at the 20th 30th i mean the first yeah the first minutes are really intense you go you go all in, all you, in tr yeah. you try to you you need to be smart you know you i'm always trying to hold my position and not spending that much energy to yeah pass one or two guys because in the first one or two laps from the first to the 40th guy everybody's the same mm. like there's no difference they everybody's strong so it it would cost you so much energy to over to pass somebody at that uh, yeah mm. in the beginning of a race so i I wait maybe one lap, one and a half lap, and then I, with my steady power, with the speed, I go further and further up. And then after two or three laps, there is no actually fighting anymore when you pass a guy because you're so much faster. It, it <laughs> makes no sense for them to, to hold against it. So, mm. But you need to be patient. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you look... Growing up in, in, you know, being a Swiss rider, there's a huge amount of pressure because, you know, Swiss mountain bikers are legendary. It's like Kenyan runners, you know, you, you guys own mountain biking to some extent. Do you, because you grew up in that system, do you think there is race knowledge that has been passed down from people like Nina Schurter and guys like Lars Forster and of course yourself now that goes down, it filters through the system where you kind of, your knowledge about the way that you race because that, that insight you're giving us about how you race is interesting because it's not how i thought it happened is it part of the system or is it just stuff that you've learned yourself through racing i think that one i learned by myself but i think with that whole swiss being swiss and it's so difficult the positive things is it's like the competition in the team like yeah, you're growing up and you 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 never be the best or you always have somebody that's better than you and you want to beat this guy and that's like a competition and a motivation which when, when you're the only guy in your country and you think you're the best and then you go out to the world and then... Uh, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> yeah, you're not. That's something else. So I think that's that's the... That's why so so many Swiss guys are good, actually. I think mm. because the whole Swiss setup is good. Yeah. yeah, the Swiss setup is good, and there's like always somebody that's even better than you, and you want to be as good as this guy, and that's giving competition and motivation, and yeah, you're mm. searching for that that small uh, detail to to make better. So I think it's. It's not only negative to be like Swiss, Swiss mm. in, in like for for worlds or Olympics, but it uh, gives you also a lot of positive things. And when did you realize that you were as good as or could be as good as a guy like Nina? I mean, he's obviously a legend in your sport and in your country, but now you're racing with him and you have been close to him, I'd imagine, over the last couple of years. 
When did you think, hang on a minute, I'm actually racing with a guy who is a legend and I could beat him on a good day? When did that happen? I'm not sure. Like 2016, my last on the 23 year where I was finished, I think I won a World Cup in on the 23. I finished uh, third on the uh, at Worlds, Europeans. And then I, yeah, you know, you know, when you in that age, you can be one of the top guys, you can have a chance in in the elite rankings but it was never the goal to like especially beat like Nino it's it's more like yeah I mean he he's a legend in the sport and you look up to him and try to yeah, let's say yeah look what he does and how he's riding and um, generally it's not it's not I don't want to beat him I, I just want want to win races and mm. then therefore you need to beat him anyway so but it's not against one guy that's mm. that's yeah so so you've looked i mean obviously you and Gala nino people don't know how he trains and as you've said you're describing how he races he's super efficient so do you take tips from him in other words do you know okay i think nina does this or nina does that maybe we can take some some learnings out of that or is it okay i'm finding my own way I mean, in that sport, no nobody gives you free advice. <laughs> <laughs> not even Nina to his fellow countrymen. No, not for, no. But uh, I mean, you try. There is some certain ways to train efficiency, like uh, you do small technical uh, loops, and you do that five, six times, and then you change to another, mm. other one. So you can train that. So yeah, you don't need it need him to ask what what percentage of your training is done alone as opposed to with other riders who are similar level to you yeah, and still in bush it's i think 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent but at home yeah luckily i i stay close to to all other really good guys like one is retired now but the other guy is uh, matthias flukiger i mean yeah. he's uh, se- he was yeah. second at the olympics and yeah he's also one of the very best guys and he is especially technique. He's really, really good. So when I go with him on the mountain bike, I'm always on the pressure and it helps me at the end mm. because I don't want that he drops me in the downhill and then, yeah, you adjust your riding and that's definitely something that's that's really cool. Do you ever have fear in a course about falling? Ross so, <laughs> <laughs> is sitting here with lots of grazes on his body yeah. from a crash. <laughs> Like, is there ever fear? Because, and, and actually on that, how does it work when you go to a course? Do you get to see it on the Wednesday, walkthroughs, ride it Thursday? Or how, how do they let you learn the technical elements of a course? Yeah, like, to come back to your first question, fear. I think it's not fear, it's more respect sometimes mm. when you don't know the course. Like, let's say this year at Worlds in Glasgow, it was a brand new course. And then... Uh, first day i didn't go on the track and some of the junior girls came back everybody with bruises and crash and like stitches like you and then you <laughs> also have some thoughts like uh, what's going on there is a big chomps and stuff but then at the end if you see it yeah i think respect to do it but uh yeah we are we are so good technically so mm. every every track should be rideable What's what's the most technical track on the World Cup circuit? I think still uh, Mont Saint Anne mm. in Canada, especially this year when it was wet. Like we had a lot of running and uh, a lot of routes, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 a good one. Hmm. So this one is with with a big with big stones and yeah, it gets slippery. So mm. it's quite technical. Do you like the technical stuff? Yeah, I do. I do. Mm. Um, I think it suits me. Um, but I don't mind like to have also uh, a less technical one. Mm-hmm. And I mean, do you do technical training? I mean, do you go out there sometimes and go down a, a, a downhill black track on your XC bike and try and master that? I mean, is it always upping your skill level? Yeah, you do. Uh, like you, st- we started to do some smaller, smaller laps, like let's say two minute laps, technical one, and you. You do it five, six, ten times in a row. That's like the, the technical training we do. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
on a very technical section of a course yeah, yeah but it also needs to go up as well i mean there you can train like the efficiency how yeah. how to ride over that route and stuff like that so mm. and i want to ask you some very technical questions as they come into my head but are there any courses now that you'll ride a, a hardtail bike or all the mountain bike courses and the bikes so efficient now that everything's going to be dual suspension bikes I think in the men's field it's 99% it's uh, full suspension mm. and there are some I think some girls are still riding at some courses hardtail which uh, I don't for 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 me I would never ride it mm. because yeah we also know that the efficiency from a hardtail even if you don't see a lot of bumps it's not never as good as with this full suspension even when it goes um, mm. straight over a grass section, mm. it gives you gives you a big advantage with the full suspension. Mm. So, mm. I I only have full suspension bike. Yeah. Mm. How do you, you you've spoken a lot about efficiency? How how do you evaluate efficiency after a race? And and more generally, after a race is finished, do you watch video of it and look at yourself and try and take the technical tips from it? And then do you add that to your own discussions with your coach around your race pattern, the decisions you made physiologically, how you felt? Like, what does your race evaluation process look like? Yeah, it's 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 difficult to to find out if if you were efficient or or not. Like, even without when you race without the power meter, you can measure it in trainings where you have like technical. Uh, downhills and uphills and then there you see the time the power and which la lane mm. you took and then you can measure it out how efficient it was and mm. uh, in the race you have you have the the videos and there is i think it's called on instagram how the race was won i <laughs> think it's from a guy yeah, and there you see he takes two or three guys next to each other like Lancer Hyde it's a good one with Nino against the second or third guy and then you just see the lines yeah. and he's not losing one one second and the other guy goes he bumps over that route and you can see immediately a difference so mm. with video you can do a lot of things yeah there's that Cosmo Catalana guy you know that to count no but I'm, I'm definitely going to follow it. that's very <laughs> yeah. interesting yeah because yeah. yeah. I mean I imagine that if you look at it like if you look at Monsignor, like you mentioned that one, could you could you look at that race and say, right, okay, I know I'm looking at my time down that technical section. Nino has gone down there, that section. Oh, I need to. That's where I'm losing a bit of time. And are you anal as analytical as that in your race post race stuff? Yeah, in that in in the World Cup, it's quite difficult to have like certain downhills the time because it's not no time measurement is there mm. in place mm. so it's quite difficult but uh, sometimes in swiss races we we do it with uh, with with timing so you can see each rider has that mm. time in that section and you can compare it quite well because i suppose the, the problem is like you only ever have the broadcast footage yeah and like the broadcast follows the guy at the bottom of the the descent as he leaves the descent to start the next climb mm. and the guy who's seven seconds behind him you never see finish the descent mm. you, you know what i mean i was just thinking we so don't you need a coach you need a yeah. coach well, i was gonna say you not have a like a guy with a video yeah. camera yeah. Yeah. videoing sections of the course oh. so you can compare yeah. oh what i was wondering is like like in a rugby match there would be 10 cameras let's say and you can mm. actually get all 10 cameras feed because a lot of them are static cameras. It's just the directors yeah. choosing what to show you on your television. So your I wondered where the cyclists were going to the broadcast and saying, I want the footage from camera five, which mm. is a static camera on that one section of the race. I don't know. Like, Yeah, but I think it's not possible there. Like, uh, yeah. no, you, ha you need to have your own video. And I, and I suppose like, it. almost like what's the point? Because let's say it is a longish section and you say, okay, that's the line everyone's taking. Next time we race it, it's not the line everyone's taking because the no. conditions are so different. So it's almost like the information, the value of the information no, expires the moment the race is finished. I think it's more it's for, your, for yourself. Like if you see when you measured five, six sections, there's a flat section, it's an uphill, it's a downhill in a Swiss race and you compare it with, with all the Swiss guys and you, you are always the slowest in the downhill so you know exactly okay i have to work a little bit more in that mm. section or type of mm. and if you always 
really fast downhill, but in the flat sections, you know, it's f more for yourself. Mm. You can't really compare to, yeah, this guy yeah. is one second faster. At, yeah, maybe he's also Obviously, taking yeah. more risk, you know. Mm. It's mm. also something that, that you need to consider, mm. taking mm. risks. Mm. So here's, here's an interesting line of questioning, which I've often wanted to ask prior people, and we've discussed this a couple of times in podcasts, and we will one day get a sports psychologist to come to answer some of these questions. But you touched on very briefly about the fact that when you're in Stellenbosch, you're training on your, on your own a lot of the time, which again is a challenge. Do you think there is, as a professional athlete, and being honest with yourself, is there a, a psychosis, in other words, in other <laughs> words, a difference between you and the rest of us in terms of being so determined to go out there and ride every day? In other words, what motivates you to be a top athlete? Because people talk about top athletes being very selfish, being very um, internally looking, that they have to be, they have to be that, because if they're not, they can't be competitive. They have to have this clear instinct. In other words, they have to be different from the rest of us. Twenty hours a week on the bike. Twenty hours a week on the bike. I mean, that, that, that and... yeah, that that takes that take the average person couldn't do that mentally because we wouldn't have that motivation. But talk us through what you think it takes to be a top athlete, and is that a healthy obsession? Or is it an obsession to be the best? I think it's an obsession to to be the best. But for myself, I want to show it to myself. That's I think my my yeah motivation to do that holding. Not not for for somebody else. I want to show it to myself. I can be the best guy in the world. That's like my motivation, and also to see the the progress. That's or like the whole yeah the way to the lead to a race that's something that's really interesting for me like mm. to see to get maybe a little bit better every week and to see that small steps that's something that's really i really enjoy and do you think you have to be quite selfish being a professional athlete or do you think that's unfair i think you need to be selfish in some points like you can't yeah you have to i think you have to say no to a lot of things. Mm. Like you can't go out sometimes, you can't drink uh, alcohol in some situations, mm. sometimes mm. stuff like that. I think the, the the world no, I think it's quite, <laughs> it's quite important, but yeah, selfish in yeah certain point, I think, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Just give us an idea of what your day is like then. Like, what are you, what are you mm. doing mm. and what are you saying no to? Aside from alcohol, you're waking up and you're doing. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm 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 saying no to going out for breakfast and eat. Uh, I don't know, uh, unhealthy breakfast and almond croissant uh, and two cups yeah. of coffee <laughs> <laughs> with uh, hollandaise sauce or I don't know. No, but yeah, I'm. I need. I need to have. Uh, a plan for the day like I can decide my whole day but I, I really for my head it's better to have a plan like let's say I start 10 o'clock I start with my training and then I also want to go at 10 o'clock because after if I don't do it it's like yeah I'm don't, not feeling nice so and the other thing is to say no to go out today evening and uh, having too much mm. wine and you know exactly tomorrow it's important uh, session hmm. or I don't know to 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 go uh, on the rest day and you go shopping for the whole day you know exactly in today's rest you need to make maybe relax have a massage something hmm. sometimes yeah I think that's that's the thing so what does that day look like so you're saying most days 10 o'clock is like your routine you want to be riding on the bike by 10 o'clock yeah it so depends what, what, a little bit on uh, which which time of the year like winter in switzerland uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going before 10 because it's still dark <laughs> yes <laughs> and it's cold yeah, it wasn't so uh, if you go 10 yeah it's but fun. now uh, now I came with that routine to Stellenbosch and I'm also starting only at 10. <laughs> so you're the, always the only guy that's riding at 10. It's so funny. I don't know why here, but everybody leaves at 6 o'clock. I, I, these, these I still don't guy, understand it. You, you have see, to explain I'm, I it should to have me. been born in Switzerland. Because yeah. <laughs> my mates, these guys are like 5.30 starts. That's something so I never understood. Five. I mean, yeah, when I wanted to ride with some locals here, yeah, we leave at 6 
why at six? Why? <laughs> but why? That's and this is this is not this is not locals who work. This no. is local cyclists who. Yeah, that's because I get it. I, I mean, like the reason these guys ride so early in the week because they got to pick their kids up, or yeah. take their kids to school at yeah, eight o'clock, so you've got yeah. you'll be finished and so on. But I also struggle with the morning, the early morning starts. But um, I think it's just a. a because it's not unique to cycling, right? Like our running events start at seven in the morning. Yeah. People run marathons at seven. You know, in Europe, you'd start at nine thirty. Mm. We just have a very early morning culture. Yeah, I know nobody in in, in Switzerland that that's right. That even sweet uh, in summer at six o'clock, mm. like maybe at nine. That's the earliest. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's when you do a big loop, a uh, special one once a year. You you go at eight o'clock. I don't know in summer, but never at six. So for <laughs> yeah, it's uh, what's the reason? It's is it the te- uh, it is the temperature in? Sometimes I understand it in February when it's getting forty degrees. You can't leave at twelve o'clock. Yeah. Maybe that's that's uh, one. But it's I mean it is a good question. I mean I know practically from my side when you've got family at home and that sort of thing, you want to be home early. If you leave it nine, you're only going to get back middle of the afternoon if you're doing a long ride. So there's practical side. But I think it is. I think there is a cultural thing. But most of the people that we ride with have got families that are at home and waiting for them. So I think a lot of the time it is just a practical and I'm, way of getting I'm back I'm not early. even joking, and this will be in winter as well. Eh? <laughs> it's true. It goes to 5.30 in winter. <laughs> you, finish, you finish the ride and it's still dark. It's still dark. Yeah, 30, yeah. You finish with 30 minutes to go before it comes, before the sun pops <laughs> up. For me, it makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I want, I want to enjoy it, especially if I'm not the pro, I want to enjoy the ride. And yeah. how can mm. you enjoy it when it's dark and cold? It's mm. for me. It's <laughs> I will never do it. No. So, so in any event, so it's ten o'clock till two o'clock. What's it? Four hours? Yeah. Three, three to yeah, four hours. I mean, most of the days I do only one session, yeah. three, four hours, and then yeah. you come back, you eat. Yeah, you do uh, your admin stuff. Yeah. Then yeah. Are you are you doing strength work like weight weight related training or body I, weight? I always? really I really tried now so, so for so many years, but now actually I stopped to do it mm. like. To do proper straight, like I do, like core stuff, mm. but not not crazy gym stuff. I, I I don't know. I'm I'm just I think a non-responder to it. Like <laughs> I tried so hard, and it's especially when you do so much endurance training. I think it's it's really difficult mm. to gain muscle. It's like it's like counterproductive. Yeah, it's. Mm. Uh, but I think it's still still a lot of young guys and. Yeah, they they go to the gym because they see Nino is doing a lot of gym work, and then they think it works as well for them. Mm. But I think so. Everybody's different. So for me, I think it's better without. I spend. I prefer to spend maybe once one or two hour more on the bike every week instead of going to the gym. And things like yoga, <laughs> flexibility work, Pilates, that sort of stuff. No, not really. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend, she she always says. Do do some yoga. Mm. Or maybe I start now with her. Mm. But well, you're twenty nine years. Twenty nine. So you're getting you're getting old yeah. now. Yeah. So you might I, need I, to I do feel that. my back, my knees. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old guy now. No, but yeah. So there's very, so there's very little cross training. I mean, you're not doing recovery. Tra- you're not doing recovery training. I mean, do you go for walks on off days or? Go swimming or anything like that. I mean, how do you recover? Do you do active recovery or is it just I, no I training? recover. I have two small dogs, so mm. we go with them out for walk, yeah, mm. twice or three times a day. Mm. That's kind of, and on, on rest day, yeah, I, I prefer to, I have so much to do uh, other things or take an ice bath or something now to go to uh, to the Londotno beach. Mm-hmm. Is that your plan from here? Yeah, I think, yeah, I I was there one week ago and it was so cold, so I had to look it up and it was I think it's twelve twelve and a half twelve <laughs> or thirteen <laughs> degrees. So, so it's perfect for a. <laughs> that's well, an average day. So we've that, debated man. this ice bath thing. I mean, yeah. it, it, Ross. I mean, is yeah, it you are do not, ice baths actually work? I mean, that's yeah. the big. Yeah, they obviously a lot of top athletes are using them, but we've. There's no, they work. the thing is they work, which might be the problem. Well, they're not helping you recover actually because they're not yeah. repairing muscle. Well, so you were going to say something like we're not big fans of Ice Bars. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I I'm, I listened some to some podcasts where you discussed yeah. about it, so you're not yeah, thing, you're not really into it. The thing is, there are some things we do that don't have any effect on our bodies. Mm. I don't think Ice Bars is there in terms of not working. So they work. 
they do what they're supposed to do, which is to reduce inflammation. So that's the benefit. The problem is sometimes you don't want to reduce inflammation, right? That's exactly why I so, only do it on maybe on rest days. Exactly. I would never, I will never do it after the ride. Mm. I we would only exactly. do it. We would only do it when it's close to an important uh, race, like uh, in World World Champs Week. We do it after every session because we don't want that inflammation. Mm. But during a training session or training camps, actually, it's. Yeah, it's exactly what you said. Yeah, so you do it maybe on on rest days, but not not after after every training. Then, yeah, okay. yeah, because if the inflammation is part of the message that makes us get better in response to training, in other words, adaptation requires inflammation, then it makes no sense to stop the inflammation. Mm. But if the inflammation is detrimental to the next performance then it makes a lot of sense to stop the inflammation. And the point there's a point at which that trade-off tilts very strongly in favor of not stopping inflammation, right? Yeah, So I get that. So, for example, in the rugby sevens, ice bathing on game days because you're going to play every three hours. So immediately after the game one, you want to get the inflammation down as quickly as you can because it means readiness. But why do you want to get inflammation down? What's, because, what's the reason? Because inflammation generally is thought to be detrimental to the next performance. Right. You know, So it carries pain signals. There's a bit of swelling. The muscle function might be slightly mm. impaired as a consequence. Okay. I think you do especially... It's uh, it's beneficial like a Cape Epic. You race every day exactly. again, again, again. Yeah. So you need to go to the ice spot as quick as possible after the stage exactly and Mm. and because in cape epic you're not expecting to get a training benefit from stage two to three to four like you're not there to train you're there to race so the the benefit of stopping inflammation is greater than the downside of stopping Mm. Mm. whereas outside of a race situation that's not the case right it makes Mm. sense eh? yeah but the point is that ice baths sometimes aren't good because they work not because they don't. I understand, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's a, oh, it's, it's good because yeah. you actually confirmed that's exactly how you're using them. You're using yeah, them, like it's I, using them in the right way. Yeah, I, I, I think, like, let's say last, yesterday was the last training. Now, it's some hours ago, today afternoon, you do the ice bath and yeah. then you, you feel better for uh, for the intensity training that's that follows tomorrow. Mm. So maybe, or I think for me, that's that's a good way. But yeah. I would never do it in that three or four day block for, yeah, because yeah. of the, the inflammation. The same is true of other methods to stop inflammation, not just like antioxidants and anti-inflammatory. Like vitamin C, high dosage yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. In fact, there's a paper, I think Tommy Lindberg, who's the Swedish guy that's been Yeah, we've mentioned show. him a few times. I think they'd published one recently, admittedly it was on resistance training, and it showed that either antioxidants or anti-inflammatories blunted the training response if you use it while you train yeah so that's the danger there you go yeah so you you touched a bit on the nutrition i mean on the vitamin side yeah tell us about what your thoughts are around vitamins and we'll we'll move on to nutrition generally nutrition yeah we'll go that direction like nutrition wise yeah i mean there was a huge i think huge step in the last couple of years with that more intake in in corps Mm. i also asked some questions about the about it to ross earlier um like yeah my goal is at the moment to have 90 to 100 grams an hour during the race during the uh, race yeah even yeah. on a short race like yeah. 90 minutes yeah especially there i would have thought mm. yeah because the intensity is so high yeah like yeah. even the i think on science like on paper it's still not proven that it really is a benefit like to have more than 90 grams and stuff but for sure it it's better to have than 60 with like I think they had a study with like runners up the mountains That's where right. the muscle damage was way lower mm. uh, with more carbs but you also have to train like train the gut you have to use it in training you can't train low carb and then you put a hundred grams an hour into the so <laughs> then, that's what I was gonna say so right it's a four-hour ride yeah. Are you doing 90 grams per hour for four hours every ride? No, not really. Like you, you pick one or two, like yeah, or high intensity trainings. Yeah, the, the, you do yeah. the same fueling as we as you would do in a race, but usually that's. I think it was also a big shift. Some some years ago, they always said, yeah, basic training you can do low carb, mm. and now everybody's or 
I do and a lot of other guys they using high high corps even during uh, low intensity rides mm. like let's okay. say 50 60 grams an hour during a four hour ride and I think it gives you it recovers you faster and you you mm. you feel better the next day you can train more you yeah you just mm. I think it's it's beneficial that's definitely there's a, there's a couple of studies that show that in a block of even lower intensity training, the people who had more carbs recover better, less muscle damage. Mm. Yeah. So even on those so, training rides, you're doing you're doing f- close to sixty grams an hour, which is which is quite high, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, that's what, what pro so guys are doing. Two hundred and forty grams. Yeah. Where is that, is that coming in the form of just pockets? You take a pocket full of gels. It, it, it depends, really. Sometimes I I always start something in the in the in the bottle, and then you have. A bar and a banana, and then you stop at the petrol station, eat something. Mm. Yeah, I'm not measure it till like one gram yeah. exactly, yeah. but yeah. more or less around 50, 60 grams. Hmm. Yeah. But on the on the intensity days, you're actually simulating race nutrition yeah. strategies, and I think it's important to do that. What does that look like? Because you you'd have access to your nutrition. You you wouldn't want it on the bike because of the weight. Or do you actually say, okay, I'll take 600 grams extra in a bottle on the bike? Or do you rather grab something every lap when you can, agile, and off you go? Like in training, you mean? Or, no, or in, in the race. No, in the race, you have that uh, you have the tech zones yeah, or like feed so. zones. So you have every bottle, it's, it's only mixed or with maybe 250, 200 milliliters. Yeah. So for the weight, because, yeah, you, mm. you drink it, you throw it away. Mm-hmm. And you you measure it that that at the end with all that six or seven bottles it comes up to that amount carbs you want, and then uh, some guys have also a gel in mm-hmm. the back pocket mm-hmm. that you can take, and I think there's also <clears throat> with 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 the uh, caffeine, that's also some mm-hmm. some some drinks are mixed with caffeine as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. When do you take it? Do you take it before, during? Yeah, it's also a big yeah. question. Yeah. So the caffeine is what you have that you have towards the end of a race because it gives you that bit of kick. Or the thing is, the race is so short. That yeah. Uh, th- I think it it takes about forty five minutes to an hour that it's full full in the body. Yeah. Cor- uh, caffeine. So, and I always have a little. I struggle a little bit at the start, so I take it before like one hour almost one hour before the race mm. so okay. it's it's available at the start and because that start is so high intensity yeah like For you sure. said earlier it's and so yeah. sometimes i'm 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 smiling a little bit when you see some guys taking uh coffee at the short race at the start which takes 20 minutes yeah, so yeah, they'll be, they'll i think be, about they'll it they'll be ready uh, at the finish line yeah and then yeah. you you it's at seven in the evening so it's good night <laughs> it's, <a constant> <laughs> it's sometimes and how do you uh, i mean so when you say yeah. you grab those bottles at those feed zones and we see that happening on television a lot how are you grabbing and just putting as much of that in your in your mouth as you can are you drinking the whole bottle is because it just looks like the guys grab it and they just they just take a sip and then they throw it away are you trying to get as much in as you can at that time in one big gulp because you can't take a bottle while you and during during the rest of the race can you yeah you can can you like mostly i i have the bottle in in the bike and i take a new one and then after that, I throw out uh, the old bottle and put in the new one because yeah. if I miss it, I still have maybe one sip left in the old one. But most of the guy of of the guys, they do it like that. They take a fresh one, put it in the in the bike, and then they drink mm. where it's the best to drink. Okay, because it never seems a time when you can actually reach down and grab a bottle because it's always so intense. Mm. But that's <laughs> there is time. Yeah, that's like a risk of of not uh, feeding well. Yeah. Like mm. you have to think before the race. The days before, when you look at the, the lab, where can you feed proper? Where is a good time, and where mm. where not? And then you also have to think about it. Where is when there is no good spot to feed, then it's probably the better thing. You take it at the feed zone. You drink everything and throw it away. Otherwise, you have weight yeah. for nothing with you. Mm. So you have to be smart. Yeah, sure. But, so it, but, but it's, it, it is like you have to be so deliberate about mm. it. It's actually quite quite a cool thing to appreciate that it's not just I'll drink when I have a chance it's I'm going to drink because I'm going to make a chance mm. yeah and yeah. there yeah. was also now with the new uh, discovery 
the new World Cup, everything they have only one feed zone, and then they have they have two lines. It's more like like Formula One, like pit zones. And at the first race in in Nova Mesto, the the feed zone line was on grass, and the main line was on tarmac, so it was quite okay. much faster to take the main line. So we decided not to to go in and have instead taking one full bottle have maybe a little bit more weight but lose instead of losing every lap you go in f- three four seconds and then you i mean you can national coach made some <clears throat> yeah you can calculate it how much time you lose with 300 grams more over 90 <laughs> minutes or how <laughs> how much time you lose if you go in every every lap so as opposed to yeah. how much time you might lose if you had no yeah. nutrition no no energy yeah. supply yeah, so sure. yeah, it's also three options, and you yeah. It's, yeah, it's also some tactics. Yes, you have to think about it. Yeah. It's a bit like Formula One in some respects yeah. because yeah. you have to figure out how much time you're going to lose yeah. if you're in between. Yeah, and when you change sure. the the wheels. So. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you mentioned that this is new. Like six years ago, when you sort of left the under twenty three world, you were doing forty grams in a race. Yeah, you're doing maybe double that. Fix 40, 60 grams yeah. max per hour. Yeah, and now mm. it's starting to have one one hundred. And was it was it difficult to get up there? Like, did you find gastric problems, or have you managed to adapt quite quickly to it? Because we 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 discussed on this podcast like six weeks ago, and we said we're going to be quite deliberate. And yeah, I can't get to sixty grams an hour, let alone a hundred. I just but my stomach is. I in, think in, it, in it really it really depends which product to use or if you you need to use the right product yeah. i think it's not working when you have not that ratio one mm. to 0. 0.8 yeah yeah no, glucose, that, that is the key yeah? like glucose to fructose the... when you i mean you can that's something i'm really interested in like and i still don't know how to measure it that you can find out with which product mm. maybe delivers you yeah. the most actually in your blood it's not just i mean you can drink two liters of it but you don't know how much it really mm. delivers at the end in your muscles mm. that's something it's really would be really nice to measure it and then you can exactly see maybe this product is better than this and this especially mm. for you yeah and that would be it i mean do you have different. product sponsors that you have to use their product or can you choose whatever you want to? no we have uh Vu like it's a swiss swiss product but they especially made after our request that that ratio with one to 0.8 so it's 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 up to the highest standards now so so you believe you're using the best stuff it's the best stuff (laughs) (laughs) no but it's yeah it's it's good yeah but yeah you really need that ratio otherwise it's not going to work just put more uh stuff in then you have problems with yeah, yeah. And just coming back to your easy easy rides then, you're doing the 60 grams an hour then on those as well. And what's the intensity of those rides relative to your high-intensity stuff? Is it? It's uh, it's about like 200 watts, 200 watts. What's that, like zone two kind of thing? So, zone two, yes. Mm. With, yeah. uh, but that in that basic rides, I also look more on the heart rate as well. Okay. It's like a big range from, in my case, it's from 120 to 140. That's my range. And I mm. look at that and compare it with the power. So it's I'm always in that range. And you've noticed the recovery benefit of that additional carb and yeah. those easy I think it's, really uh, it's, it's, it's a key, yeah. especially when you, when you have big blocks of training. Mm. Then mm. You, yeah. you, you come home after five hours and you still are, are right off. And before, uh, some years ago, you were totally yeah destroyed <laughs> after mm. like, yeah, mm. no, not eating mm. the first, it was always not eating the first two hours and after that you can eat something. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's stupid. D- off the bike nutrition, I mean, are you, because I gather you're quite deliberate about your nutrition. So what do you do before and after a ride? Mm, yeah, I mean, at the mor- in the morning I, I, have, I have proteins and carbs, some eggs oats or bread i mm. i'm not like i'm not crazy like uh, i'm not waiting stuffers or anything like mm. that mm. and i'm also yeah and uh, yeah just just a healthy balance i i guess that's that's my mm. that's my 
my key and so I none think, of these extreme diets that people no, are not doing. not really and mm. i don't know but my body is if i if i'm close to top shape and or i if i'm in top shape the body weight drops automatically i'm not i'm not like not eating anymore or stuff like mm. that it, it it's automatic i don't know so I'd, mm. maybe i'm i'm lucky a little bit but mm. i'm not like extreme and so now when you're not in race weight you're about what 72 kilograms now now i'm about like 70 kilos 71. and then in race weight you're 67 yeah, yeah, 66. around that okay but yeah it's definitely not healthy to be always around that especially not in winter and when it's cold and then you get uh, yeah, yeah the virus and stuff like that uh, mm. so it it's actually it's beneficial to have some more kilos i think in winter time mm. Yeah. It's not. But bad. your winter time in Europe, in other words, yeah, summer in South Africa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's the good thing about South Africa. That's mm. like it's summer not... here, direct flights, the yeah. no jet lag. I mean, that's mm. always stable. The weather is always always good mm. Mm. in summer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. Yeah, I heard you had some some big rains in winter. Yeah, it rains a lot in winter. That's true. That's. <laughs> Marcel, thanks very much. I mean, we've had a, it's been a fascinating chat to you, and, and best of luck for the rest of you. Just give us an idea of what your year looks like. Obviously, you've got the World Cups, but what what is your main focus this year? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, we know it must be Paris. Yeah, main focus is to yeah qualify for Paris. That's the main focus, and for there, the the first two World Cups are really important in Brazil. So we we do everything we can to deliver there uh, with heat adaptation. That's also we will be key there because it's warm and mm. from Europe you're coming out of winter so I will be staying <clears throat> in Stellenbosch as long as possible and uh, yeah after that um, hopefully Paris and uh, for sure the, the whole World Cups the races and uh, World Champs in uh, Andorra it's uh, also mm. a yeah, different one it's uh, in altitude it's uh, 2,000 meters so sure. Yeah, it's it will be interesting here this uh, this season. Hmm. It's coming up. What's the qualification process for the Swiss team? Will it be based purely on world rankings? No, that's that's the sure. the thing <laughs> I spoke with. We were talking uh, about uh, this before you no, no, the podcast. Uh, yeah, I think it's that that they can consider it that you can go. It's a uh, top five, what which uh, I did. But that's top only World Cup, yeah. World yeah. Cup top five, yeah. but that's only two spots, and f- four or five other guys also did it. So yeah. we have yeah. only two spots, and uh, to be realistic, you need to win a World Cup to go. There's uh, yeah, with Lars, with with Matthias and Nino, there's mm. three that sure. won a World Cup, and two other guys with the top five. So mm. yeah, and. Yeah, in Brazil, you almost need to win, I think. And, uh, Just an unbelievable depth in Swiss cycling. I mean, yeah, and every one of you top five guys can win World Cups, whereas... Because two slots per country at the Olympics. Yeah, they, they, drop, eh? they, they drop it down from three to two now. It's uh, I don't know why. what's it at the World Championships? It's uh, at Worlds, it's seven plus the World Champion. But wow. now we lost Nino as a World Champion, so we only have seven spots. But that's kind of seven. It's a kind of good... It's still difficult to go there as a yeah, Swiss guy yeah. because there are seven, eight, nine guys mm. that they can ride top ten. Mm. But Olympics, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous to. So you, two yeah, spots. because remember the woman got the full podium in in uh, Tokyo. It's so not that, that's no happen. longer going to be it's possible. It's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> I don't know that they've done that. Yeah, it's well, imagine just having that bit of history on your side, and you know they was going to do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's incredible. I yeah. mean, the Swiss men could do that. Yeah, we could, but uh, not not anymore. Yeah. I think they're not changing it to mm. get huh. three spots, but mm. Uh, mm. because of Brazil, um, Paris, and in Brazil it will be warm, so it's gonna be uh, mm-hmm. yeah important to mm. that whole. Do you have an heat. indication yet of what the Paris route will look like? Do they? There, there was that... there was a test event uh, last summer. I didn't go, but. Okay. We have there was a race on it. We have footage. Everything it oh, looks like a it's a fast fast course. A lot of gravel sections, some some artificial like rocks and stuff. It's not like a okay. <laughs> not like a classic. It's no, yeah. it's not like a classic a one. Classic natural mountainous. No, so. but yeah. 
And also with Andorra, that's world champs in altitude. It's also that'll be something. Yeah, you sure. need to be prepared. Mm. I mean, mm. that's also. I was listening to your podcast in before Andorra this year. It was a World Cup, and then you said, "Yeah, it's no chance if you're not uh, if you're not going up there." And you're gonna get you a really you can. I I stayed in. I I didn't go up, <laughs> but then uh, I still finished like 13. But maybe it's just that the difference not top five to yeah, top yeah. ten so what you're saying if you'd taken Russell's advice you would have got yeah, top five maybe <laughs> yeah maybe get up there real early this year when is world champs must be five or six weeks after the Olympics no it'll I be think late longer right? it's, must it's be uh, in o- August I think August middle something yeah, so about like a that. month it's yeah. about a month then yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a quick transition so it's from quick one transition, big race yeah. to another. Yeah, it could be an opportunity could, there for it some. It could be, could be a big opportunity mm. if you're not going to Olympics and uh, prepare well for for uh, Andorra altitude. Mm. Because mm. yeah, if you, yeah, that's some of the guys they're not motivated after Olympics yeah. anymore. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's crucial to go and adapt to the altitude for worlds mm. and when it's on two thousand meters. And then further beyond, I mean, like you're a local South African now, so you've got yeah. to ride the epic at some stage. Yeah, well, maybe with you often. <laughs> <laughs> if you agree to, if you do, agree to do the whole thing in your zone two power, but I think I can do it. <laughs> no, definitely we want to do it uh, also with the team once, but uh, yeah, we decided not to do it this year because of uh, yeah this the olympic season and everything and we never did it but it's yeah it's in my mind and i mean yeah. i know probably half or more of the of the route so yeah, yeah. it would be a home race for me as Good i would time. say yeah yeah <laughs> so one day for sure yeah and then the other ones in your other home yeah swiss so epic bag two of them yeah. at home <laughs> that's yeah. a bit shorter the swiss epic and but bit uh, much more climbing yeah mm. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think for they sure. say it's uh, physically it's harder than the Kebabic because so of the fair? climbing. Mm-hmm. It's That's just what they say. I think the Kebabic is it's it's because of the heat and yeah. All if, you the get, dust. if you get a hot year here, man, eh, some of those are brutal. Wasn't this year so bad? No, was no, it the year before? Was, yeah, this the year, year before. I was uh, mozzy. I saw some pictures. Yeah. They walked. There was some muddy days, <laughs> yeah. but there's been a couple of years ago. It's so year. hot. Eh? You get third of the race in a medical yeah. tent afterwards yeah. Yeah. and they cut the race the stage is short because of the mm. heat sometimes and uh, it's yeah. quite intense yeah. we look forward to seeing you so Marcel we look forward to seeing you for the rest of the year I know I'm going to be watching your progress throughout the year on the World Cups and the, hopefully the Paris Olympics and the World Cup the World Championships with a great deal of interest so thank you very much for your time yeah. thank Thanks. you so much Thanks. thank you it was nice you have been listening to the Science of Sport podcast follow us on X Facebook, Instagram, and join the conversation on our exclusive Science of Sport Patreon page. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.